Welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark Sayers. How are you going, Mark? I'm going well. Yourself? Yep. Pretty good. Have just good. consumed a decent amount of sugar. Yes. Yes. For the worried listener. And there's who, so many of you that are there concerned. There's so many who are concerned who heard us last week and our usual intake of pastries did not occur. And we do apologize if there was a resultant drop in quality of content. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the force, balance in the force is, um, you know, restored. And there is three pastries we as three of us have consumed. Yeah. Yourself. So it was, it was shared. Yes, it was shared. Um, COVID cut up. Um, with yeah. COVID cleanliness and hand hygiene, to quote Boris Johnson. He's talking a lot about hand hygiene. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. With, you know, using alliteration as a yes. way of helping people remember it. Yes. Well done, Boris. Well. On the alliteration, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, Maybe. We'll move on. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, last week we talked about models of leadership. Yeah. Uh, the three in particular that you talked about were traditional. Yes. Institutional. Yes. And charismatic leadership. Yes. And yeah, ended that episode with uh, a call to leaders to move towards spiritual authority. And that is um, what's going to lead the church well in this next generation. Mm. This week, we're going to be looking at the pandemic and post Christianity. And Mark, mm. you're sensing that. Post-Christianity is actually in a state of flux as we've been experiencing Mm. the pandemic. Do you Mm. want to talk to us a bit about that? I guess guess I've I've, had some additional thoughts. Mm. Um, Many of the people who um, are are listening may have read um, my book, Reappearing Church. Um, And if you haven't, I come up with a concept in that book which is really looking at the way that in the West – um, the West fills three key buckets or um, tanks that we have as human beings. So one is that human beings have a tank where we need a sense of meaning um, to live, um, that that a sense of purpose, a sense of a story in which we inhabit gives us a sense of meaning in the world. Um, so if you can imagine like just as a car has a fuel tank, you have a fuel tank for meaning in your life. Mm-hmm. When meaning is too low, you feel a sense of hopelessness, nihilism, um, you know, depression. Um, we also have a uh, tank of freedom. Uh, there are different people in the world who have differing levels of freedom. Uh, people in totalitarian regimes, political prisoners have a low amount of freedom and they need to be a more flourishing human being to have more freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also have a tank of relational um, community, how we're connected to other people. That can also be really high or really low. And um, when people find it really low, they become isolated. And my argument in that book was that what was happening was that if you look at those three containers in the West, the West has continually poured freedom into the freedom tank to Mm -hmm. the point where the freedom tank is overflowing we've never had this much freedom and uh that increasingly has meant that the relational has gone down Mm. so in a sense it's a trade-off to be in relationship you have to give up some freedom and uh, if you get married if you have children if you join a voluntary society all of that means that you have to give some freedom of what you want to do but then you gain something in the relational 
Um, and in a sense, even meaning um, is the same. To to give yourself over something to something greater is actually to give up some freedom. Uh, but the path that people have been, um, you know, taught and formed by Western culture is that happiness is really, as much as we still promote meaning and we still promote relationship, at the end of the day, the solution continually is to continually expand your freedom bucket. But I think, drum roll, I missed a bucket. You missed a bucket? Yes. Was it like sitting under the laundry sink? <laughs> yes, if only. <laughs> it was there the whole time. Uh, what is this bucket? Well, or tank or tank, container? Tank, yes. I think what the pandemic has shown to me is that there was a bucket that has become more and more clear now. Mm. And I think probably partially what eliminated this was the very different way that Australia and New Zealand responded to the pandemic Mm. and different parts of the world have responded. Um, So you have a number of developed countries that could be anything from, you know, Iceland, Japan, New Zealand, United Kingdom, the United States, Canada, France. Um, but we've seen very different responses, not just yeah. from governments, but also the public. Um, and it was really, really interesting when the pandemic hit. Um, you know, there was messages flying around, friends, people writing stuff on social media, um, and everyone was sort of saying, "Wow, you know, like if lockdowns come in, if masks come in, people are just going to rebel." You know, and had a number of people sort of sending me messages like, "You know, us Westerners are going to rebel," you know, against mm-hmm. against the lockdown and the pandemic. And it's been really interesting in that's just not what's happened in Australia. Mm-mm. And particularly in our state of Victoria, um, it just hasn't occurred like that. And so you've seen in other places where there's been significant – I've had a few small protests in, in, in Melbourne, but nothing compared to what you've seen in places, even like Germany, which I didn't expect to see in, mm. you know, thousands of people in London. Um, you know, in the US you've had this huge reaction, the politicisation of masks – and I think it's been really, really interesting. And the question that I've been sitting with is, um, you know, and, and Victoria, where we are in, in, in Australia, which is our state and our city of Melbourne, um, there was this very different way that people seemed to process it. And there was some complaining, we all heard it, but the majority of people, we had a premier who basically sort of locked things down. And then the majority of people still, he had a high approval rating for some time. And even mm. at the, the height of the lockdown, when it just dragged on, it was still like 60% or something, his mm. approval rating. And what I realized is that the bucket that I had missed out was the bucket of safety. Okay. Safety. So what I realized is in Australia and New Zealand, I think we have a higher value on safety than freedom. Okay. Now we still want freedom, but we want the government or the whole of society. And it wasn't just a government thing. It wasn't just like the government's doing this. It was almost like we're all in this together, sort of like communal yeah. vibe. It wasn't that the campaign. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. We're all in this together. Um, and there was this sense where as a city led by the government, we all got into this sort of moment where we made this collective sacrifice. And now in a sense we're reaping the benefits mm. as we're seeing you know, rates um, and just before we record this, you know, we haven't had a case for some time. Um, and then now it's almost like we were, it was so interesting because, again, in the West, we're always, you know, talk about in a sense you would say that we're not into the delay of gratification. That's one of the markers of the West. Yeah. But um, essentially what has happened is you could almost see in, in Melbourne, it was like we're willing to delay gratification to go through a really hard slog for a while so that we can then have a COVID-free summer. Yes. And it's this really weird moment where what's actually been happening is we're sort of entering into this summer, cases are, are way, way down, if not zero, 
And they talk of you know trouble bubbles between Australia and New Zealand at the same time when Western Europe and the United States is it's sort of you know big. So I was like, man, what did I miss about Western culture? And I think that the difference is because again, if you look at Western Europe and America, the communal's going down. If you look at uh, and Australia, there was that was similar. If you look at the the amount of freedom, mm-hmm. that's sort of similar. If you look at the the sense of meaning, that's sort of similar. But the difference is that the safety one. So we place a higher premium on safety than freedom. Now, that doesn't mean we're like we want the government to do everything. That doesn't mean yeah. we don't want to have individual choice. But it's almost like we're just a little bit lower on the freedom. We're willing to sacrifice some freedom. And so I think this was just sort of an idea that I was thinking about. But I think there's actually something deeper within it, which actually speaks to post-Christianity. Okay. So... Am I kind of catching you right here in that you're saying that safety is somehow linked to secularism? Yes. Okay. So so my argument was um, in reappearing church that uh, people wanted more and more freedom and the more and more freedom we got, Mm. we became paralyzed by anxiety. So it's like if someone says, hey, we've got ice cream, do you want strawberry, chocolate or vanilla? You know, yeah, okay. Now, if I presented with you 7,000 of the most incredible flavors possible, there's a point where you'd almost become overwhelmed because there's so much choice. Mm. So there's an increase in choice means an increase in anxiety. Uh, and Barney Schwartz wrote a um, book about that called The Paradox of Choice. Mm. And um, that's actually what was happening in Western society. So my argument was Western society was heading towards a crisis because there was so much freedom that we were actually in almost a form of hyper-freedom. And I think that's still true. I think that yeah. is that a diagnosis of Western culture? Yes. Um, and my prediction was that that's going to start to fall over, create a crisis. And I guess one of my you know, other theses is that when you look at the study of revival and awakenings and renewals, that crisis precedes renewal. So the argument was that we're going to head into a kind of um, – crises because we have too much freedom but then what's really really interesting um and i'm going to bring in the thought here of um uh, someone called ronald Engelhart, um who's a sociologist and he wrote a book called cultural evolution and he made this really interesting point was that if you look at all the countries in the world and they did this sort of value surveys of all these different countries in the world that the less survival is an issue in a country for you mm-hmm. Um, the higher secularism is. So he he called this a huge value shift that was occurring in the world. And the terms he used to describe this were the shift from a materialist worldview to a post-materialist worldview. Now, what he meant by this, and we have to be careful with the terms because materialist can seem like materialism. He doesn't mean yes, it in that way. Okay. So what he means is materialist worldview is where your primary concern in life is for your own security and safety and survival. Mm-hmm. So people who are in that sort of really uh, fragile, uh, you know, culture of scarcity, um, they tend to be more communal, those cultures. Um, also, the individual is more driven by a sense of duty. How do they protect themselves? How do they protect others? How do mm-hmm. they protect the whole? Um, and really the driving value is survival. And often it's not even survival for the individual. It's actually how can I even protect my family, those around me, my children. You know, how can I I almost, you know, that sacrificial thing. I may not have a good life, but I'm going to make sure that my kids have a good life. And what Englehart had noted was that 
you saw this profound shift occurring in countries which had high levels of um, income, but then also protections as well. So countries that had high level of income, but then also good welfare, good healthcare, okay. yeah. um, competent governments, um, government which could do you know good infrastructure, good security, um, that therefore those countries were moving to a new set of values, which he called post-materialist values. Okay. So whereas the materialist was communal, the post-materialist was individualistic. Where in the materialist it was about duty, in the post-materialist it was about my rights. Um, where the materialist was about survival, the post-materialist was about self-expression. Mm-hmm. Um, where the materialist was about very much key right and wrong moral codes. Yes. That actually what the post-materialist was about was free speech. I should be able to express myself, define myself, say what I want. So he was charting really from the 1970s, I think he sort of began onwards into this, this change that he was seeing happening in these countries and is a really interesting chart. Obviously, we're, we're on audio, <laughs> but he's got this chart of all the countries in the world. And if you look at the sort of top right of the graph, you've got the Scandinavian nations, Australia, New Zealand, US is a bit further down. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, if you look at those sort of countries, um, they're the ones that are often the most secular. Um, and then you look down the bottom part of the quadrant and you've got Middle Eastern countries, African countries, some countries in Asia, um, which tend to be much more religious and mm-hmm. particularly some of the poorer and, and, and other uh, countries which tend to be Muslim majority down the bottom. So he was talking about this reality that we're seeing in the world and just some other things as well. Like it's really interesting in a post-materialist uh, uh, values, leisure becomes more important than work. Mm. Um, in a post-materialist culture, uh, sorry, in a materialist culture, it's religion's more important, but in a post-materialist, your friends are more important. Um, in a materialist um, thing, politics is really key because politics is linked to your survival. Yes. You want to advocate for yourself. You want to affect change in the world. Um but in a post-materialist culture, politics becomes less important. Um, in a materialist culture, um, there's a real sense of tribalism. Yeah. Um, people look for strong leaders, authoritarians who will protect your tribe. There's a strong culture of us versus them. In a post-materialist, you just expect the politicians and leaders to just make stuff quietly purr along in the background. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's much more about you know. There's less us and them. It's all we're all in this together. Um, you know, you define yourself how you want. I define myself how I want. Um, so, in a sense, if you think about this, this aligns with a lot of what people were seeing was already happening in the world. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the changes that we were seeing. Um, so, if you can imagine that, what a lot of people didn't notice was that safety bucket. Like I find it fascinating that like now that I think about it, I should have had a safety container, bucket, tank, whatever you call it. The fact that I didn't even put one there is because I think as an Australian who lives in Melbourne, I assumed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, But I think when the pandemic comes, the pandemic is seriously subverting this paradigm of survival and the trajectory of inevitably so much of the world moving. Um, and you know, and what Inglehart was really predicting that the world as generations raised 
um, in a post-materialist sense that they were going to bring those values. Mm -hmm. Now, he talks about how in the 1940s and 50s, um, there was almost a generational cycle. So often you would have people when they were in their youth, it'd almost be like they'd have some of their post-materialist values, like when they were teenagers or perhaps in their early 20s, but then they would become more materialist as they had to have responsibility, get a job, yeah. have kids, you know, you know, provide for the, you know, save up for a house or whatever. Yeah. Then there was need for security. Exactly. Yeah. Then security would, you know, the old jokes about, you know, um, eventually, you know, everyone becomes a conservative as you get older, you know, all yeah, that okay. sort of stuff. Um, but he's, he was arguing that with the trajectory that things were going that because the world was becoming and developed countries were becoming more secure, that in a sense, a large part of the developed world was going to become post-materialist in their values. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was the prediction that everyone was assuming was happening in the world. But the pandemic has profoundly, I think, disrupting this. So it's kind of, it's almost running in parallel to what we were talking about in the networked world. In what year was that book written, Mark? I don't know. Oh, well, that's fine. We'll but I think we've got our cultural evolution, Ronald Inglehart. Um, we have our live Googler, uh, the interpreter Sandman Daniel is currently He's on. Going it. to look it up. So I wonder, you know, and you were just mentioning that there was this prediction that he made yeah. that it was going to um, just continue moving towards yes. a post-materialist society, and. I guess in parallel to what we were talking about with the the networked world is that everything is fragmenting. Yes. That um, there is no uh, that you know everyone could just be who they wanted to be, and mm. we're all you know individualists. Actually, it's returning to that strange tribalism. Yes. That was talked about um, in the materialist society. So. Oh, and it's been confirmed. So what 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 is the we have a we have a date? What's the date? It was two thousand and eighteen. 2018, so quite recent. What I think the, the, the curveball, mm. which we weren't predicting, is the reality that for lots of people, the world is now becoming a materialist one, but there's an overlap. So, for example, sure. um, you know, if you look at the pandemic, um, you know, record numbers getting it in Western Europe, in the mm. United States, um, you know, we're at the point where in many countries now the health system is being overrun. Um, you know, this hope of a vaccine, but still it's way in the midst of it. You know, we're in the midst of it as, as we record. Uh, the accompanying political polarisation, um, you know, the increase in political violence that you're seeing in some Western countries, um, the fact that there's an uh, economic. So a big part of what he said is post-materialism is linked to the economy as well. Mm -hmm. So when the economy is performing well, you have more chance of post-materialist values. When you go into recession or depression, you go back to materialist values mm -hmm. because in a sense that time you have on your hand, you know, like you, you have to survive. Yes. Um, and particularly if you're in cultures and nations which don't have the same welfare safety net, which yep. don't have healthcare um, in the same ways, you know, you're, you're much more a sense of, you know, so as Australians with, you know, good healthcare and a good social safety net, um, we that's why I think our – our survival thing is higher, yes. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But then the corresponding thing is that that sometimes means it's harder for religion as well is really interesting because in a sense we don't we aren't confronted with those existential questions. No. Um, but what the pandemic is doing is that it has come along and it is almost a group of people. Okay, so it's it's two things are happening at once. Mm. So we're being pushed back into a materialist reality. So there is the 
fragility of our of people's health that, mm-hmm. that people feel. Many listeners um, at this point in time are in places in the world where the virus is rampant. Um, secondly, the the sense of um, comfort you get that your government is a Western government that's going to able to be dealt deal with this may not be there in lots of places hearing this. There's intense frustration at government's bad response to the pandemic. Um, we then have increased political polarization. One of the big changes is that, you know, we were almost 10 years ago at this post-political moment where people didn't think about politics. Yeah. I mean, you think about the fact that, uh, and I was trying to explain um, to my, I was watching The Circus, that show about the US election with a couple of my kids, and I was trying to explain to them that it wasn't always like this. Like it wasn't like there was daily news about the US president doing stuff. Like there was points where you just didn't even think about politics. It was barely in the news. It was something else happening Mm. because politics is now just infusing everything. Um, So politics is back, tribalism is back, and there's also a desire for sort of these sort of, you know, strong leaders who are going to save us. There's also a sense of, you know, sort of violence or, or rhetoric of violence or even even in the social media sphere, the fact that, you know, you put up something like this and there's this sort of feel like, am I going to be attacked for saying the wrong thing, yeah. cancel culture, all of that. So all of this is sort of tribalism. It's all the markers of materialist culture. Mm. But the interesting thing is it's being experienced by people who have been shaped by post-materialist values. So it's an interesting overlap. So like people who are shaped by materialist values, they're prepared for a materialist world. Yes. We now have people shaped by post-materialist values who are finding themselves shocked, finding themselves living in a materialist world. Yeah, and extremely disoriented, I imagine. So what does this mean for leaders in the church? Yeah, so it's it's really fascinating um, because a couple of things. I think there's – and this is depending where you are. So number one, this is different in your context. Mm. You know, part, of the, part of the thing I feel just about, I guess, our context, um, I think it was the second week um, when we did our live stream back in March. Yeah. I think I had a, I had a word that I shared. And, and I think the word was essentially I had a sense from God that Australia and New Zealand was going to end up in a good place, but that was not then just so we would all go back to the beach or something. That actually that was because, you know, we then had this chance to intercede for the rest of the world with the pandemic. Mm. Um, you know, there is a real possibility that in a sense Australia and New Zealand's management of the virus and perhaps this is the same in other places like you know, Japan or Korea, mm. that because these countries managed it well, that that's just going to add already to the po- the move towards post-materialist um, values. Mm-hmm. You know, so in a sense we can go, well, we, we handle it well compared to those people. Yeah. Um, so that could happen. It also could be that the shock of the last year has brought in, you know, a percentage of a sense of the material. You know, and of course the economic hit still could be coming, you know, like yeah. – um, uh, other countries, other Western countries find themselves in the really 
interesting place where we've traditionally thought about the biggest, most powerful countries in the West as the most modern and safe mm. and and moving forward countries in the world. That's no longer the case necessarily. Like, you know, you look at the most stable, safer countries at the moment are some of the leading Asian democracies. So people need to start thinking about the countries that they're in differently. But I began to think about this too, is not only do we have a generation of people shaped by post-materialist values now find themselves in a materialist world, we have a bunch of ministries that were attuned to a post-materialist reality now yes. ministering in a materialist world. You know, so what do I mean by this? I mean the fact that you know, you're planting a church and you know, like you're, you've been trained to you know, maybe do some uh, you know, sermons on you know, how we manage our finances and you know, how do you manage some anxiety and you know, how do you sort of get more out of life as a Christian. Um, and then all of a sudden these people, and these, these are the sort of post-political types of sermons you give in a, in a post-materialist world where everyone's just, you know, what you're dealing with is individual expression and um, you know, issues around individual identity. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're just thrown back now into this super tribal, political, contested environment. Um, so it, it's deeply disorientating for mm. people. They did not expect and see this coming. But I actually think there's an invitation here to actually see that the scriptures are written for people and humans in every context. Mm. There is deep resources in the scripture to actually deal with these deep questions that come for people who find themselves in this materialist worldview, like this sense of, is God your provider? Yeah. Um, can you trust him to actually provide the next paycheck? Um, you know, what do you do when you find yourself stuck in a tribal dynamic? You know, all of the, the great resources in the scriptures around being a peacemaker. And so I actually think that there are these fantastic opportunities for the church to pivot and reorientate. And actually, in a sense, the mythology of the post-materialist world is that you can live this wonderful life and there's all these things propping you up in the background that you just assume. Um, you know, there's this sense they talked about a Potomkin village, you know, which was this thing like when people go to North Korea and they'd visit international visitors, they would travel along these uh, villages. And I, I saw an interview with someone who's like taken to this particular village. It's like the model village, but it's fake. Yeah, okay. They've got like the frontages of the houses, but behind it, it's all rotting. And it's like this fake world. And in a sense, the post-materialist world was a Potomkin village. It mm. was this, this thing which looked great on the inside. So on the outside, but on the inside, it was just propped up, you know. So in a sense, um, I think there's a lot of mythology being pulled down at this point mm. in time. So, you know, if you just want to do the lifestyle sermons, I'm sorry, like you're now being invited into a much deeper sense of how you're preaching to the whole of life, mm. touching everything. This is an invitation to go deeper with God and offer a much broader, a much richer uh, I think tapestry of the Christian worldview to people to be in the in the sense in the midst of it. The the idea, the myth of a post-materialist society is that we could sort of through good marketing and good graphics and this stuff present this palatable expression of the of the Christian gospel. Mm. You know, and maybe some people are a bit individualistic might be offended by that, but hey, you know. But the reality is now we realize the absolute contested space, which is far more like the first century that the church finds itself in. But the other thing as well is remember that, yes, there's tribalism. Yes, there's contested. Yes, there's a sense of fragility. Yes, there's a sense of vulnerability. But also 
there is a raw openness to the great existential questions of life Mm -hmm. and there's a profound opening to the gospel at this moment. Um, As the material questions come before us, the mythology is pulled down and people are faced with what is the real issues of life that I need to wrestle with. Yeah, so what you're saying is there's really ripe opportunity for leaders right now Mm. to uh, be listening to and led by the spirit in leadership. Thank you so much, Mark. We'll catch you guys soon.